Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in this Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests joining me to share their stories, their successes, their failures, the lessons they've learned, and their life. You're going to hear some remarkable stories, but more than that, you're going to have some real practical ideas to take back and to apply in your own life, which is awesome. Before we dive into today's podcast, one that I am absolutely convinced that you are going to love, please remember that you can learn more about this podcast, our videos, our speaking, our book, our work, our mission, our lives at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. That's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. If you're looking for more motivation, more inspiration, more practical ideas, go there right now. Check it out. You're going to love it. And you can learn even more about my guest today. His name is Matt Manzari. Matt and I met originally in Indianapolis at a World Burn Congress. He was just coming through his own challenges. He shared a little bit of his story. And as I have learned more and more and more about his story, it absolutely blows me away. It humbles me. It inspires me on what the human spirit can do, how we can bounce from adversity to adversity towards success and significance and ultimately live in a life that is not just about looks or status or what we have achieved, but ultimately who we are, how we overcome, and what it means not only for ourselves, but for those that we influence through our lives. It's a terrific story. You are going to love it. You are going to need an open mind, an open notebook, a pen in hand, uh, pull over if you're driving, and welcome our new friend, our guest today, Matt. Matt, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thanks so much, John. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, not all of our guests are actually in studio with us. So to have you seated across from me, looking as healthy and as handsome as you do today, man, <laughs> you hopped on a flight. You uh, must have had a lot of coffee because you look extremely alert. You're ready to roll. For those who may not yet know about you and your story, uh, give us a snap a snapshot of what life looks like today for you. So today life looks like uh, we have two beautiful kids. We have Justice, who's two, and Trig, who's one. Uh, my wife, Bobby Jean, who's my hero, as you probably know as we get into the story you'll hear, but uh, it's sometimes the bedside people who are with us in the hospital through our challenges that uh, can sometimes not get the recognition, but... Uh, what they've been through is just as much or more than we've been through. You know, I totally agree. And uh, I never fully understood that until I read my mom and dad's book. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the first author in the family. My mom and dad wrote a book about their journey. And it was in reading that that I realized, wow, I thought I had it bad. <laughs> Man, I had yeah. nothing compared to the bedside. Those yeah, who and, love and us. my wife was uh, pregnant when my accident happened. So she was dealing with pregnancy being told she's going to be a single mom, but we don't want to spoil the story. So we don't want people to know that you survived the accident. So yeah. we're, we're going to we save that for that the out. shocking conclusion <laughs> of this podcast. And my, my friends, by the way, we joke about it. You're going to hear something wild today and uh, it will be moving. It will be emotional. It will be real <clears throat> and it will be applicable to each one of us because 
your events in life may not uh, look exactly like Matt's. What I do know about each and every one of us is that we're all either in the midst of a storm coming out of one or entering into the next one. That That's a fact of life. Matt has a way of moving through the storms of life, and he's going to be sharing that with us today. Matt, tell us about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, we moved to Florida when I was 10. I think I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I just fell in love with water sports, uh, wakeboarding and water skiing, and and eventually picked up a wake skate, which is a lot like skateboarding, but behind the boat. And I kind of put together the two sports I loved. And before I knew it, I was 15 years old and I got a call from Nike. They said they were breaking into action sports and they, uh, they wanted me to be their first endorsed athlete. And I hadn't really, you know, I was just a kid doing what I loved, like any, like a kid playing baseball, doing what he loves. And, um, and, and you just, before you know it, you're traveling the world, you're getting paid to do what you love. And, uh, that was, that was a kind of grow up quick part of my childhood. You, you made the leap to professional water sports. You're like you said, you're traveling the world. You're getting paid for this. You're 15. Uh, did did you realize that this is not normally how uh, sophomores in high school roll through life? (laughs) I did because, uh, I had to homeschool because you can't have a heavy travel schedule and, uh, be in, in high school. But, um, it's funny, like so many kids at that age, they would talk about, oh, you're, uh, you know, it's so cool that you're talented in this and talented. And and for me, it wasn't talent at all. I wasn't any better than the next guy doing any sport. And, and I, that was kind of the age that helped prepare me for later on in life because I saw that it wasn't that God gifts these athletes. It's, it's a mindset. There's a mindset in a professional athlete that, uh, it's choosing to believe that you can do more and be more than everybody's telling you, than than your own self is telling you. Right. And and breaking through mental barriers and, you know, hearing the four-minute mile story of Roger Bannister, that was huge for me uh, when I first heard that at, at 14 years old. And I, and I saw this had never been done, a mile in under four minutes. And now since then, hundreds have done yes. it. And, and what happened? Did, did people suddenly get faster at running? Or did, was a mental barrier broken, and and it shifted my whole view of sports of life, and I started to say maybe maybe we need to start breaking those mental barriers, and and that was a fun challenge, you know, trying to yes. do what I love, build a career, uh, but it, it prepares us for all sorts of challenges. And we're going to talk about some of those challenges, but before we do, how long were you uh, a professional athlete? I was a professional athlete for about eight years. Um, yeah, I think I got my first pro model board either at the end of 15 or 16, and then all the way up through my early 20s. What did you learn about yourself during that time? Um, I learned that regardless of what we want to set our mind and our goal on, if God has a different plan, (laughs) uh, it's not going to bring us happiness. Um, We look for happiness in in all sorts of things in this world, and I, I kind of, I did that. I thought, man, if I could just get the cover of a magazine, if I could just get... Um, if I could just win this award or w- land this trick, I'd finally make it. And those things happen. You win yeah. a contest, and it's like, okay, what's next? And you get in a magazine. Okay, well, next month somebody else has a cover, and and you're just going from thing to thing to thing, looking for that contentment. But I don't think we're ever going to get that when it's all about us. And I came to a place in my life where it was like, well, um, 
my whole life is about myself. It's about more money, more status, more magazine coverage and contracts, more stuff for me. And, and it was like, where do others fit into that? What shifted? I mean, you're asking these questions. I think they're the right <laughs> questions. And you're asking them really at a young age, mid-20s, early 20s, a young guy to be thinking beyond himself. That's, that's most unusual. But w- w- what changed to allow you to realize, man, it's not about me. Yeah, I was um, I was 18 when that question started coming up, and I was kind of in the middle of my career, and it was uh, I guess it was just thinking that that you know you just feel like the donkey with the carrot, thinking that once you get that carrot, you're gonna be happy, and realizing at a at a young age having my biggest dreams come true, and realizing at the top it kind of felt empty, hmm. that it was like I, I mean, wake skating such a small sport compared to baseball, what you're into, but I mean, for me, it was, I was a World Series winner. I was, yeah, and I was still it. at the top, like, this is it. This is, this is here, like, you arrive, and, you know, it's like Wizard of Oz, the curtain comes up, and, and it's just all smoke and mirrors, and, and I guess I just came to a place where I said, you know, what is life really about? And I started that journey, and um, I just kind of got a taste of serving others, and, and that was way better than any anything I'd ever won, anything I'd ever done in my sport, and made me want to say, okay, where do I go from here? <laughs> so where do you go? <laughs> well, I didn't really know, so I Googled, um, <laughs> I Googled like what to do if you want to be in ministry and, and was Googling where to go to school for Bible college. And I ended up going to university in Tennessee, getting a degree in theology. And, and all through school, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do in ministry. I just knew I wanted to help others. I knew one thing, I didn't want to be on the, the guy on stage speaking. Yes. I said, who would I said, want that horrible I said, I'm, responsibility? I'm not going to be the guy in the spotlight. I'm going to be helping the guy in the spotlight. I'm going to be in the background and just serving. Um, but yeah, we know how that turns out. So I have, uh, <laughs> I have the honor of not only having a whole lot of friends who are in the spotlight, but a whole lot of friends now who I've met through my career that are behind the spotlight, who are behind the camera, who are behind the studio, who are behind the real work. And uh, they realized we need the spotlight. We need someone up there to kind of sing the song and carry the tune. And they also realized the real mission work takes place quietly. So I, I have such respect for those who who seek that spot in life because it's it's very easy to want to be in front of folks to mm-hmm. you know to want want to hold the microphone. But I, I think it's cool that you, you didn't want that. You didn't want it for yourself. So you go into this school. You're about to graduate. You're about to launch forward into life. And what what happens, Matt? Yeah, so I was about to graduate. I, I thought maybe I'd go overseas, do some mission work, dig some wells or something. And I was two days from my final exams, and and God had just blessed all through school. I thought I'd lose all my sponsors, but uh, during school, I I ended up winning Trick of the Year and getting a Wakeboard Magazine cover. And it was like, well, I guess it's not over yet, and and was still able to support myself financially and, and my new wife through school. And here we were, two days from finals, and I said, let let's drive to Florida. The first stop of the pro tour is there. I'll ride. I'll come back, uh, qualify for the tour, come back, take my finals, and we'll graduate. We'll move back to Florida. We'll be in ministry. Life will be great. And we drove down to Florida. I was first rider off the dock, and there was a narrow spot in the lake, uh, and and Florida was going through a a drought in 2012, and I misjudged the shoreline, and I crashed into it over 20 miles an hour, and uh, there was the spot Mm. where I went, uh, had a bunch of rebar and uh, broken sidewalk and just broken cinder blocks. And, uh, I hit the shoreline and collapsed my skull in multiple places, broke my jaw. 
had rebar go through my leg, broke my hand. Um, and it was just kind of waking up in the hospital and being told, hey, Matt, you, you crushed everything above and below that pressure point in your temple. It really should have been over and could have been over. And, um, and, and that was kind of like my view of God. It was like, okay, this is amazing that I'm alive and I'm excited. But to be honest, if I just had to dig down, the whole world was flipped upside down. And, and that's kind of how I viewed God, like, you know, big picture God. Okay, we, we live in a broken world, but one day we have salvation. So, you know, I almost lost my life. The, the miracles I didn't, but now I have to pick up the pieces. And I don't know how to do that. Right. And and here I was. I couldn't open my mouth. I couldn't eat solid food for a couple months uh, with my broken jaw. I couldn't walk. I was using a walker to learn to walk again. And I saw through that my my bills were taken care of. The school allowed me to graduate on time. Uh, I was supposed to go, go to Guyana for a mission trip three weeks. And my friend said, give me all your notes. I'll go to Guyana. And it was just like so many areas where I was like, well, what about this? Yes. I, I just, I can't. I have no power. And just somebody stepped in and, and people were there and God just provided. And and I remember saying, I'll never face a challenge this hard again coming through that. And, and eight months later, I was completely restored physically. Um, you know, I barely had any scars. Uh, my life was back on track, but I was changed forever, spiritually, emotionally. And, and I said, I'll pass these lessons to my kids and grandkids, uh, even though I knew I'd never face any challenge like that again. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to up what you went through, through that, that, that accident. And yet you do, I mean, you, you go through something even in, in no small way, even more significant and serious and life-threatening than that first accident. Why, why don't we just kind of fast forward into that? Yeah. So two years after my accident, our life was back on track and a ministry called, this is my story reached out and, and offered me a position and we prayed about it and said, okay, let's go. And a week after accepting that position, I was helping uh, trim trees at a church in Orlando. And uh, I got up in the bucket. Mm. And I'd been in those buckets before. We'd rented them for, uh, well, I didn't, but photographers rented them for photo shoots and wakeboarding. And uh, and I said, I could do that. And I got up, took it up, and we didn't realize that you can't have a steel bucket near high-tension wires. You need a fiberglass insulated bucket. And I was about 15, 20 feet away from the power line and it was just a big enough metal ground, and it arced over. It arced 15 feet. Yeah, and I was in the bucket one minute, and then waking up from the coma. Do you remember anything about that day? Uh, I remember everything right up until it happened. I remember being in it, and I remember grabbing the controls and saying, all right, I'm going to drive it forward. And as soon as my arm went down, I just opened my eyes, and my next couple memories are spread out over that first month, kind of in and out of consciousness, and... So maybe picking up the story from someone who was on site, Matt, uh, what happened? Like, what happened to you? So my wife, she was helping out inside the church, and she said when they came out, uh, they didn't know what happened at first. The bucket was suspended. It wasn't near the tree or the wire. And and then they said I started to kind of flail and come out of, come into consciousness, and they could see my rib cage and my sternum bone, and she said it looked like something from an A&P book. You could see all inside it was all fourth and fifth degree burns, mm. so it had burned through, through the skin and through the tissue layers, and um, you know through some of the muscle and part of the bone in some areas. And uh, she said, "You could see all inside my body." And when they finally got me down, uh, the EMTs held her back, held her back, and then finally realized, "Hey, we're losing them," and um, let her come say goodbye to me. So, for those who uh, 
don't understand. And I'm I'm one of those, by the way. What's going on biologically, physically? Uh, they said they're losing you. Why why, why are you going to potentially die from this? Why is it so life threatening? So, um, well, I I didn't have from basically my because you guys can't see, but from my belly button all the way up to my chin didn't have any skin. Uh, the fronts of my arms didn't have any skin. So I was losing a lot of blood really quickly. Um, you know, everything was exposed and, and they just said that the trauma of that much voltage should have shut my heart down right away and, and my heart would probably fail in the next few moments. Matt, how much voltage went through you? So there was three lines. It was a three-phase 480 and they confirmed a ground because uh, we're working on my book now, took their police report. Uh, two of the lines were definitely involved, had the burn marks and that would be 12,000 volts and if the third line, 20,000 and I said, I want something quantitative because that's just a number. Tell me what that means in real life. And they said, well, that would be the equivalent of at a minimum if we strapped you to six electric chairs and turned them all on. So I feel very blessed to be here. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like you to share a little bit about waking up and um, being in pain, being back in the hospital bed, being wrapped, struggling. Did you ever ask yourself, like, do, are you kidding me? Like, th now this is my story? Yeah, well, I mean, waking up from a coma and being told you've been electrocuted is a bit of a shock. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hopefully, no. it's, for those of you watching yeah. online, the man's got a big smile and grin on his face <laughs> right now. So, yes, it is a bit yeah, of a okay, shock. It's okay to About 20,000 volts worth. Um, but, no, uh, something that helped me early on, I guess, is I never went through the the why or the anger, and, and it was kind of, uh, John Maxwell says, wherever you are, there you are. And and I've always held on to that quote. And um, and I just realized early on uh, when I woke up and they said, hey, Matt, uh, you don't have any skin on your chest and arms. You're not healthy enough for us to try Integra yet, let alone skin grafts. And um, I had a doctor be really honest with me when my family wasn't there, and he said, Matt, it's not an if, but it's a when. At some point, you're going to go septic. And when you start to move to going septic, um, it's going to shut down your kidneys and your heart within about four or five hours, and there's really nothing we can do. So being told that at some point in the next few days I was going to die, it was kind of this moment of, well, wherever I am, there I am. <laughs> and I could be bitter. I could be miserable. I could be defeated. But it's not going to make me less electrocuted. It's not going to take the pain away. It's not going to take the surgeries away. And, and what I can do is I can try to hold on, just like when people told me I couldn't be a pro athlete or, or people say things like that like they do all the time. I, I said, I could take this advice and take it to heart, and I probably will die. Or I could claim that, hey, I'm getting better. I could pour into my loved ones and and, and choose to believe that that I can be healed. And, and if I'm not, well, at least in the end, I'll be remembered for who I was. People won't say, hey, you didn't want to know Matt at the end. He was scared. He was defeated. Mm -hmm. They'll say he was Matt right till the end. That is so powerful. <laughs> you know, we, we could spend a whole lot of time focused on your emotional and spiritual and physical healing. But you also mentioned that your wife is a hero in this. And I, I think, thank heavens, the majority of us will not know ever what it's like to go through <laughs> 20,000 volts and, and somehow survive. Yet most of all of us will at some point have a loved one laying in a bed next to us. Uh, and we wish we could do more. So picking it up from your wife's position and her chair in her life, what, what is she going through during this time? So, like I said, she was pregnant. She was dealing with morning sickness and then me being 
uh, kind of scared to be alone in some of the dressing changes. As you know, it's it's a very painful, yeah. <laughs> scary thing. And, um, you know, so she's morning sickness in one room, walking in, gowning up, and going into these dressing changes just to be there for support. And uh, she's just so strong. I mean, her and her parents and my parents were in the hospital with me the whole time. Yes. Um, you know, my parents were huge uh, for me, huge encouragers as well. And just all the people, my friends, that would just be by my bedside, take time out of their day to come out. And uh, and that was huge. Anything that you experienced that made a difference? And what I mean by that is, for the most part, we don't know how to respond to tragedy, you know, when it shows up in a friend's life. Was there something that a friend, a family member, a spouse, a parent did that, man, laying there that day when this thing happened, whatever this thing was, it really it woke you back up again? To me, what was most encouraging is when people just didn't treat me like I was broken. When they walked in and and were just my friend, just sat with me, maybe watched TV with me, talked with me, and and it just gives the patient, it gives us a chance to remember what it was like before right. uh, you were facing possibly your mortality, facing all this pain and surgery. And um, it just made you feel normal again. How long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital. Uh, my accident happened in June, and I got out in September. And um, I got out a little earlier than I should have. I was really pushing the doctors to let me out. So right. I got out and ended up back in about a week later for another operation. So the first year I was in and out a lot um, after that uh, with a number of surgeries. Even while you were going through the months in hospital and, and then the years of recovery, were you clear on two things? One is why you were going through this. Were you trying to make sense of this? And secondly, were you clear on where you wanted to go next? Um. I didn't really know where I wanted to go. It, it seems like God works through others, and I kept having people say, hey, you got to share this story. You got to share this story. And right when I got out, I had asked to go share the story <laughs> on stage at a church, and uh, since then it's just kind of been the, the ripple effect. You know, you speak at one place, and you ask to speak at another, and can you come speak to my employees? Can you come to my youth group? Can you come? And uh, and it just kind of fell in to my lap, I guess, and then starting to lean into that and say, okay, I want to do this. This is more rewarding and more right. forgiving than, uh, more rewarding than anything I've ever done. And as you know, you get to go see lives changed, see people impacted and, uh, and see them work through their struggles. So it's really cool. How does a guy who wanted to be back room and behind <laughs> the scenes, <clears throat> who then goes through two tragedies wakes up from the coma physically changed and scarred although your face is, re- remains extremely handsome you, you have scars man on your chest on your arms on your hands how, how do you make that shift from wanting to be behind the scenes to being the scene to being front and center uh very cautiously at first um i avoided my public speaking classes for so long till my advisor in college said matt you have four semesters of preaching. You're not going to graduate. You need to start doing this. Right. And um, so it definitely was not my comfort zone. And, um, you know, we just had a film come out on my story, a short film that's going to release in February. And and when they asked if they could make that, I, I said no at first because I, I said I don't want it to be about me. Right. So there's that struggle of, of being, like you say, being the guy. And I just hope that when people, what, I guess what helped with the shift is is saying, okay, what's my focus going to be? My, my ministry 
my my speaking business called Beyond the Burn, and and my name's not in it because I want everybody has burns, and yeah. I want to help people move beyond that. Um, everybody's broken. Everybody's facing challenge. Uh, the movie I said I hope when people watch the film, they see my story as an example, but what they really see is that there's a God that's working in their life. There's plans, and even when we're in the heart of our struggle, uh, see a way through it and and be able to look beyond our walls, beyond the kind of boxes that we create around our lives. So speak to me and our friends who are tuning in right now as someone going through adversity, because I think we all, <laughs> we find ourselves there more frequently than we like to admit or acknowledge, uh, but it's it's a fact of life. Give us some practical tools on what we can do to go beyond the burn. So uh, one thing that really helped me through through my hospital was realizing that if we're not growing, we're dying. And, and it's not these big things that bring us down. It's the little subtle changes every day. And, and I'll, when I share this on stage, I say, you know, if you don't believe me, this beautiful building, this radio station we're in is literally crumbling before our eyes, but we can't see it. And, and if we shut the doors and left for 50 years and came back, there would be cracks in the foundation mm-hmm. and the roof, there'd be leaks, there'd be fading, there'd be bugs. And that deterioration is happening, but it's too slow to see. And the same thing happens in our lives. And, and we say, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be the best employee I can be, whatever our challenge is. And before we know it, we wake up in 10, 20 years and we look in the mirror and don't even know who's looking back. And that deterioration happens slowly. So it's waking up each day today and saying, hey, you know, who am I, who am I coming across today? Who can I impact? Who can I serve? How can I be better than I was yesterday? And starting to ask those practical questions uh, and leaning into that from, uh, from a- everyday life. In, in addition to being aware of it, right, that things are slowly falling apart in all our facets of life, or we can choose to opt in and make them even better. W- what are some ideas on how we can have better relationships, better health, better vitality in the reflection of the mirror and spiritually and professionally and, and areas of life that actually matter? What, what, what do you do to keep growing? To keep growing, wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I read a lot. I like reading. Uh, when, so constantly. right now everyone's thinking, dude, I have no time to read. I barely have time yeah. for the podcast, so okay. Larry. When, when do you find time to read? So actually, in, in lack of time to read, I got an Audible subscription. <laughs> so I can listen to a lot of books. Um, and by the me, way, it's, it's as really... you're forming the next thought, the if you don't have time to read, the Audible subscription is awesome. You can listen to phenomenal books. You can listen to two or three, or if you're crazy, four times the speed. Yeah, I listened to this great book on Audible not long ago. It was about this guy. He's got a similar story to me. He went through a tragic burn, and now he speaks. It's called On Fire <laughs> right. by John O'Leary. It's a phenomenal <laughs> book, and you'll get the $26 referral fee for promoting that on air. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. But not only is On Fire available, all books are available. So consider checking out Audible. It's a, it's a, it's a cool site. Yeah, so you read a lot. You listen a lot. What, what else do you do to keep intentionally growing? Uh, like I said, we create – so the last scene in the movie, I'm just going to give it away uh, on my story, is all through the film I've been sitting in uh, my office typing my story out and it's flashing to scenes from my life, from my wake skating, from my marriage to my accidents. And uh, – and at the end, you see me in the office, and the camera shifts to an overhead view. And as the camera goes up, I say the last line. I say, if we would just look beyond our walls, we'd see the creator of it all, you. And as the camera moves up, you realize there's no ceiling. There's actually no building. 
I'm, my office is just four standing walls in this big field, hmm. and the, the camera goes all the way up a couple hundred feet in the air until I'm a little dot. And it's just this word picture that we create walls around us, and we just can't see beyond it. We can't see that we're not in our little boxes and our little offices, and, and we create physical ones. Um, you know, from our routines, we go... If we're in school, we go sit with the same kids every yeah. day. If we're at work, we do the same thing every day, and we're missing who's being put in front of us, who's walking by, who's sitting alone that we're not going up to. You know, who who do we walk by at work? The the secretary, who's kind of the background hero, who's behind the camera, who who just simply saying, "Hey, you look great today. You're doing an awesome job." And there's little areas that we can pour into the people around us that that we miss because of the walls we build. And um, you know, we build walls emotionally from from fear and from uh, all, all sorts of reasons, fear of success, fear of failure, uh, fear of intimacy, allowing people to see inside what's really in here and and just go all in. You know, just go all in in your day-to-day life and say, who's in front of me? Who can I impact? Uh, let me step out of my comfort zone and try to break through some of these barriers. So in addition to knocking down the walls, which I think is an awesome uh, analogy, you also have had to look in the mirror and see a guy who is not quite the professional athlete he once was. You're still fit. You're still active. You're still upright. You're still traveling and moving around the country and around the world as a presenter now. How have you learned to view your scars and 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 how have you learned to view life differently than maybe you once did? You definitely look at life differently when when you've really faced your mortality. And it's hard to even say it and convey it. Because it sounds so cliche, like, you know, get the most out of every day or those sayings right. that we hear all the time. But when you really are in a position where you say, in eight hours, I could be dead. I, I might be dead. I'll probably be dead. And you really look at life and start to think, what are the things I didn't say? What are the things I didn't right. do? And um, to move past that does make every day different. It does make you look at life different and your scars different. Um, you know, when I look in the mirror without a shirt on, I, I see, like you said, I, I'm broken. I've had a hundred percent of my chest muscle cut out, uh, surgically, most of the muscles in my upper arms. Uh, but inside I'm a whole person. I, I know who I am. I'm excited to, uh, do whatever I can with it, whatever time I have left here and, and recognizing that this world is temporary and, um, and it's just very short, the life we have here. What's next? Yeah, I know you're a daddy of two, a husband of one. You got a, a busy, growing business. What's next for you as you look forward? As I look forward, what's next? Well, well first, I'm going to take uh, my wife and kids on the road for a little break because we just spent uh, two months on the road speaking. And uh, so we're going to go visit the grandparents in South Dakota. Okay, and, uh, cool. Uh, but what's next? We are working on a book right now. Um, I'm pretty excited about Hopefully, we'll be out uh early this coming year. What's the title? That's a really good question. Uh, I think <laughs> it might be... It's the hardest part, actually. It, it might be Unfair God, huh. but I don't know. And kind of the the idea, I hope people who maybe think we serve an unfair God pick it up and uh, and people say, you know, did you ever question the, the, the age-old question? Right. Uh, why do, quote-unquote, bad things happen to good people? And I started to think, you know, well, well, what is fair? If I touch the stove and I burn my finger, do I say, God, why did you burn my finger? No, I, I touched the stove and burnt my finger. So what is fair? Fair was uh, they were sure my arms were going to come off. Uh, we were nine hours from a surgery. Take that. 
take my arms off. Sure, my heart was going to fail. Sure, my kidneys were going to fail. Sure, they were keeping me comfortable till I died. And why were the best doctors wrong again and again and again? Because I believe we serve an unfair God who every once in a while steps in this world and says, this is still my world. These are still my people. And I have the last say. And, and he does miracles. And it's not always how we would like or how we would hope. You know, I think me or you, we, we wouldn't have chose this story as a little right. kid, but uh, to lean into it, to embrace our story uh, and, and just see where it takes us is incredible. And we probably wouldn't trade that for the world. Matt, you're clearly a, an extraordinarily faithful guy before the accidents and now afterwards. The, the, the folks who listen to this, they've heard guests on my show who are Buddhist, who are Jewish, who are atheists, who are all different species of believers, man. I mean, we come on all different shapes and sizes. For those sitting back today thinking, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's working for him, but it's not working for me. What would you say to someone who has just absolutely no no time for faith? No time for faith. Absolutely. You know, I when I speak at businesses, I say, look, it, it's clear that you'll hear through my message that my faith was a big part of my journey. But we're all at different places, and and if you have no faith, if you have a different faith, that's great. I encourage diversity. I I encourage that, and and I just hope that you can repackage the concepts and and to fit fit them into your life. Because the truth is, no matter where we are, uh, if we're an atheist, if we're a believer, if we're a Buddhist, whatever it is, um, we're gonna face challenges, and and we can move past that with practical steps, with with uh, taking steps each day. Like we talked about earlier, uh, we can look above ourselves. We can look outside of our boxes that we create. We can we can go all in with life. When when people put down your book, whatever the title may be, whenever it may come out, when they when they shut the door in your presentation and they walk out of that venue, when they leave you in an interview like this, um, what's one thing that you hope is better because you came into their life? One takeaway, if I had one takeaway, it would be wherever you are, there you are. <laughs> and you are in the midst of it or going into it, like you said, and whatever your challenge is. John and I wear ours on our arms for the whole world to see, but some of those deep, deep challenges you guys face are unseen, and you carry those every day. And And I just want to encourage you that there is hope, that you can move forward, and you don't have to be defined by your past, and you can use whatever your challenge is to impact somebody else going through it. Well, Matt, you are absolutely using your past <laughs> to redefine your future and our futures as well. It's it's extremely moving. And uh, before we drop the mic on this episode, we have something called the Live Inspired Seven that okay. we ask every guest. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these or not, but you're about to become. Uh, I'm about to bring you up to speed on these seven questions. Matt, what is the best book that you have ever read? Boy, that's a hard question. Um, for me, I've read some good books this year. Uh, Dave and Goliath by yeah. Malcolm Gladwell kind of looks, makes you look at the world differently, uh, look at what the world sees as disadvantage, maybe as an advantage. Uh, Bob Goff, Love Does, Love as an Action Word, as a really cool book. But best all-time book? Probably Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Okay. For those who um, haven't bumped into it, what what's the the core principle within it? So the core principle in it is thoughts are things, and 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 yes, it focuses a lot on financial richness, but it's really 
it's a- applicable to every type of richness in your life. If you want a rich uh, family life, emotional, spiritual, whatever you're looking for, but it's the idea that thoughts are things and uh, the difference between uh, Napoleon Hill, he, he went around, interviewed the richest of the rich of the time. He went to the um, Steve Jobs and the Donald Trumps and all these people who who are very successful and said, what is it? You know, different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings. Uh, what is it that brought you to where you are? And he said, the difference between wealthy people is the way they think. Mm. And wealthy in that, just to make sure we pull this all the way through, uh, sometimes that means dollars, but I think all of us are seeking uh, wealthy lives, the ability Absolutely. to influence and impact and, and live for things bigger than ourselves. Perfect. So tomorrow you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly <laughs> died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? Well, I love um, I love digging wells. It, it just breaks my heart that people in this world don't have clean drinking water. So uh, I work with World Vision. Uh, they do a lot of well projects in other countries, so I'd probably give some to them. And then... I love vehicles. I might, I don't know, buy a classic truck. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and then lastly, you might, uh, this might hit close home to you, for you too, but I've always wanted to build a rehab center ever since my uh, accident to kind of fix a lot of the, you know, we go through physical therapy and we have so many people, um, so many small issues for one, like you have a great inpatient physical therapist, you get out of the hospital and you can't find somebody who does burns. And I'd love to, for one, work with inpatient, then those people make schedules yes. and work with outpatient. So fix the logistical side of it. But also, there's not enough emphasis on the mental state. Uh, when you're in the hospital, people, you know, I, I had a friend whose brother lost his leg and he ended up committing suicide about a year later. And when I heard that, it was like, man, I want to build a center yeah. that somebody says, I lost my leg, but I gained my life. You know, I lost my leg, but through the recovery, uh, the just like the physical therapies on the schedule, the the mental, the psychological training, uh, is on the schedule, and the leadership training, and and I want people to go in and say, man, I got out of college and I just got this job, and I never followed my dreams, but I lost my leg, and I'm back on track. I'm going to follow my dreams. So that's awesome. I build that. <laughs> well, I look forward to you building it. I'll come down and visit, okay. and uh, I'll, I'll pile in a few nails if you'd like. If your house caught fire. And all living things, those are your babies, your wife, your animals, are out. And you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing, an item, that really matters to you. What would you grab? Well, I mean, if it's if my family and all my stuff is, all my uh, kids and family are out, my first reaction is let it burn. <laughs> but uh, if I could grab one thing, I guess it would be my dad's tools. He... Uh, he after my accident he said you know so many people leave stuff to their kids when they die and I want to leave this to you when hmm. when you're living and I'm living so I can see you enjoy it and um and he was a he he was a mechanic that started his first shop and against everyone telling him that he'll he'll starve he'll never make a living well now he does automotive training in twenty different countries and has a private equity firm and he's doing okay and lives an awesome life. So those tools were kind of the, what built everything. And when he passed those on, they're really special. So I'd probably wheel a whole toolbox out. <laughs> I, I love not only the things that people grab. The reason I ask this question is not the thing, the tools. I mean, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks. We'll go to Sears together. But the meaning behind it, 
And it, it's always the meaning attached to whatever the item is. I think it's important to remember whether the house is burning or whether our lives are busy. It's always the meaning behind the things. Uh, if you could sit on a bench, Matt, overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to have that long visit with? Hmm. I mean, my cliche answer I'm thinking of would be, you know, just some famous person I've looked up to. But who would I really want to spend some time? And Frank. Yeah. So we live in a world where you and I, there's inspirational books, motivational books everywhere. There's speakers like you and I. There's so, social media, so much to draw from. Um, but how did she do it? How does a little girl in the Holocaust who doesn't have TV and and uh, websites and motivational books be so motivated to stay positive? There's so much to her story in life and death <laughs> and um, how she's still very much alive through our uh, through our lives today. I mean, 70 years or so after her actual yeah. death. I think her little journal has sold more than 30 million copies. That's crazy. And even the way that it was discovered, her, her father, Otto, came back into the attic and, and sees the journal shrewd across, strong across the floor and had never even known that his little daughter was keeping a journal. It never even identified the full beauty of the girl directly in front of him. And I think uh, there's a lesson to be learned in our own lives, not to miss the beauty that is directly in front of us. It's there if we, if we want to see it. If the, the, This question I, I also love is, what's the best advice that you've ever received? Ooh, um, two-part answer. For one, uh, in the day-to-day, the difference between good and great isn't much, but it's a difference. And uh, just trying to live that out, uh, you know, we're told that, like I said, in, in the athlete world that people are gifted or this or some people are just good at that or have a knack. But a lot of it is just perseverance and just trying a little bit more. Mm. And, and so many people give up right before the finish line. Um, so that would be the first part. And then probably the best advice I ever heard is a quote. It's coming from the book, The Hole in Our Gospel. And he said, find out what it is in this world that breaks your heart. And spend the rest of your life trying to change that. Whew. Dude, why, why are you wait, <laughs> saving your good stuff until the end, man? Uh, if you don't mind, say, say that one more time just so we can hear it loud and clear. Find out what it is in this world that breaks your heart and spend the rest of your life trying to change that. And that, that was huge for me when I first heard that as a kind of confused, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I just know I want to help people. So I went to school for ministry, but I don't even know if I'm going to work for a Christian organization. I don't care. I just want to help. And then hearing that helped me more define that. And what breaks my heart now is broken people. Breaks my heart when I go to the National uh, Burn Convention and see burn survivors that are maybe not in a place where they've accepted their accident, not in a place where they know how to move forward. Breaks my heart when I I get to work with youth groups. I went to a youth group two weeks ago that 100-kid youth group had four suicides in the last year. And and you just hear, you know, these lies that kids are being told that they're not cool, they're getting bullied and— so that just breaks my heart, and I want to change that. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Well, that was only tw- seven years ago, <laughs> but a lot has happened in seven years. I think there's a temptation. I've heard uh, you say, I'm sure you get this question a lot, if you could go back, would you change it? And there would be that temptation to kind of spoil what's ahead, but I don't think I would. I think I'd say, if I'm talking to myself at 20, I'd say, remember when we were little kids, 
and we heard something in our room, and you go flip the light on, you see everything's fine and nothing's there, and then you turn the light off and get back in bed, and pretty soon your mind starts playing tricks on you again. And in the darkness, you forget what you learned in the light. Hmm. Don't forget what you learned in the light, that you were created to do and be more, and, and there's going to be some dark times ahead, but uh, what's planned is bigger and more than you can imagine, so just hold on. Oof. Final question, Matt Manzari. It's been said that all great people, and I think today I'm sitting across from one, all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Well, John Maxwell says people think a lot of themselves, and 30 minutes after you die, the most important thing on their mind is where's the potato salad. (laughs) So, I don't know. If somebody were to remember me, uh, I just hope that they would say, Matt went all in. You know, he in in the way he loved, in the in the way he served, and in the way he did life, he was all in. And and everybody dies, but very few people live. And and I hope they say that Matt lived. Well, Matt, you have lived, and you have reminded us of what it looks like to come fully alive. Uh, I want to thank you for finding what it is in the world that has broken your heart, and then spending the rest of your life not only per- personally trying to fix it, but inspiring the rest of us to fix it as well. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been an honor to have you on our show. My friends, that was Matt. This is John. And this is your day. Live inspired.